0: Hey folks, this is Danny. You're tuning into part one of our sit-down conversation with music artist Bometheus. Mac and I had a wonderful discussion with him ranging from his career, childhood, philosophy, and everything in between, and we thought it to be best to separate our interview into two parts due to how extensive it was. I also want to get on the front end that there were some audio difficulties in terms of acoustics and quality, so I would like to apologize on behalf of that, but we still find the content to be enriching, and we hope you do too. Enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a special episode of The Artenders with Mac and Dan. In this episode, we are conducting an interview. Now we've done an interview with an actor, and we've done interviews with the writers, but this time, we are lovingly welcomed by a wonderful musician, a (coughs) musical artist. You may know him as Bometheus, but to us, he is Jonathan Hodges. This year... He released an album titled Seasons of Limbo. You can listen to it wherever you listen to your music. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining with us today. Now, I want to ask you, just right off the bat, what got you started with your album? And particularly, was it like the songs that came first or was it, okay, so I want to make an album because of what's going on these past 365 days? (laughs) Uh, Well, first of all,
1: thanks. Uh, For having me on. It's very exciting to be here. Um, It's exciting to see you guys. Yeah. It's been a minute.
0: Yes, for those who don't know, which is probably all of you, we went to school with Jonathan as well at SMU. Correct me if I'm wrong, but we met in a dining hall. If I'm not mistaken, I think that I was know I've the met in hall, yes, the yeah. inception, and honestly, the inception of all great friendships is uh, <laughs> at a dining hall over mediocre at best food. Bountiful harvest. And you really think to yourself, man, the certain sur- like the plates are tiny, like they really don't want us to eat, but we're paying. for for all this food but they really don't want us to eat yeah, no. um but
2: but i ate i did you um, did um, um yeah oh yeah all the time that's anyways
1: that's not why it's called umph. it's because you did eat and you regret it um. And <clears throat> like, just in, nice. in, in, in yeah, that sort of regret yeah.
0: that like passes through your body that yeah. it's just like I, I i've gotten sick many times at uh, at you know the Umphrey Lee Dining Hall, oh, yeah. but it is what it is. Um, imagine,
1: imagine your name is Umfrey Lee, and they named a building after you. <laughs> yes. That's hard. And it's the dining hall that doesn't
0: have a very good reputation. <laughs> and it's
1: underneath.
0: The, it is a under, basement. It's in the basement. It's, yeah. it's, so here's
1: my theory: nobody liked that guy. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's, no how they, way. that's how they commemorated the fact. that but
2: he gave, gave so much money to them, and they were like.
1: Give him this. We're going to give him
2: the shitty building. Okay, yeah, just put him in the basement.
1: Okay, yeah, so... um, I guess to answer your question, I write... um, I'm always writing. So I try to write uh, two albums at the same time, essentially. Mm -hmm. So as I'm finishing one, I'm starting the next. Um, And this one was no different. I suppose the difference here is that my third record... Um, Sweet Nothings, which came out in 2019. As that was wrapping up, I started writing the songs that would appear on this record, which just got released this year in 2021. But then I started kind of unexpectedly working on um, my fourth record with um, my uncle Dave, and it's like this collaborative project where he like wrote all the lyrics and I set all his poetry to, to music. Yeah. And so that kind of came in out of nowhere. And I was like, yeah, we're doing this now. And so I was allowed to kind of spend more time and give myself more time to work on the stuff that became Seasons of Limbo. Um, so it, at some point, I was working on three records at the same time. And then eventually Sweet Nothings was done. And then it was just inadequate in um, Seasons of Limbo. As far as like what informed why i mean it yeah it, it, it's never i'm gonna write this album and i'm gonna mm-hmm. plan these things and we're gonna talk about this and mm-hmm. that it's always well this horrible thing happened or that was kind of cool or mostly it's this horrible thing happened right <laughs> right, right.
2: right. <laughs> and, but it's not like you're like a concept writer it's more just like this chapter of my life is inspiring these songs exactly yeah. and so yeah. um
1: i kind of have this uh non-realistic or unrealistic um Goal to like put out a record a year. And, okay. Um, so that's fantastic. When I die, you, you, you'll be able to know. You, you go listen to exactly what 2020 was like, and when I was yeah like 2020, 2021, etc. That's been a
0: consistent theme with like people that we've interviewed. That so much of like how they view your, their work, their own work, is like sort of what they're going to leave behind, yeah. like yeah. when they die, right? And yeah. so it's it's not at all about the success of it all like it's it's so much more about like this is who i am like at these moments in time exactly this is what i felt in my heart and this is what i want to represent me um so i enjoy greatly that um that definitely rings true for you as well yeah um can you speak more to the i guess because you you visit some vulnerabilities uh in this album as well Um, Is it difficult, would you say, of an experience for you not perhaps also to like put those vulnerabilities to lyrics and to music and then have those vulnerabilities be open and expressed to the rest of the world? Uh, I'm hitting you with a hard one. It
1: comes comes really naturally to me. Mm -hmm. That's just kind of how I prefer to be anyway. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Do you guys know what the Enneagram is? Yeah. Oh, I do not. I am ignorant on the the subject. What are you?
2: I believe I'm a seven wing six.
1: I believe that. Yeah. Oh. I don't know you super well. I'll take that. You're like a super happy, like outgoing, like excited to do things kind of guy. I try, yeah. But then the wing six is like the, the small layer of Depression, I see hiding behind the eyes. Jesus Christ. The, the,
2: the, it's the ring yeah. of fire. Just that ripped that them open. Prevents me from blinking as I'm no, looking at you. Oh, my no, God. So that, no, that's it, that's it. what I
1: like about the Enneagram. Like most, well, uh, what is the Enneagram? It's a personality test kind of thing. There's gotcha. No okay. But I like it better than like Myers-Briggs or the other ones because Myers-Briggs specifically tends to... Um, everything is positive reinforcement. And so yeah. you take it... And then whatever your letters are, you can be like, see, I'm allowed to be a piece of shit. <laughs> That's so fucking true. Whereas the Enneagram, yeah. when you take it, it's it just stabs you in the face, and then it punches you in the gut, and then it throws you on the floor, and then it shares it with everyone in the room what your deepest, darkest secret is. And you're like... Wait, why are we doing this? They're like, oh, so we can grow as people and learn to love ourselves and others better. The <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. first step to doing that is recognizing what's that's wrong. Our own. <laughs> right, right. No, that's true. How that's awful true. human beings we are. True. True. Yeah. yeah, right. But then, yeah, yeah, yeah. like, you know, figuring out tangibly what we can do to to do a better job. Yeah.
2: Um, what is your, what so is your I, I'm from? a Ford. Okay. And
0: so I bring that up because. Um, Now, for, once again, someone who's ignorant on the subject, what does a four mean? A four is, like, the most
1: emotional, um, the individualist. That's what it's called. And so, so the the way it works is basically every personality type has a um, basic fear that controls everything about them or how they view the world. Yeah. So, type fours most primal fear is that they will not be unique or special on any level, and they're terrified of this being true, because deep down inside they actually think that it is true, and so they do everything in their power to try and make it not true.
0: I see.
1: (laughs) And then, like, a five is someone who's terrified that they don't know enough, and so they don't want anyone else to know that they don't know enough so they're constantly trying to know oh yeah 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 and then the six is just terrified of everything <laughs> yeah
0: I've never been so scared of something in my life like I, oh, I, I feel the like the implicit need of like okay I need to like do this like for myself yeah. and for the betterment of myself but Jesus Christ I don't want to look <laughs> in the mirror you know
2: no 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 no. well, the, well just like he said the best is to make it communal the best is to get people right. that either are very experienced or have no idea what they're doing and just throw them in the deep end right. and 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 do it so that not only are you, just like he said, not only are you uh, figuring something out about yourself, but you are forced to confront it. And you are forced to be okay with it immediately. It
1: also helps you uh, interact with other people oh. in a really healthy way. So like, mm-hmm. yeah. if there's someone you're just not clicking with and you just can't figure it out... One of the easiest things for me is, oh, what Enneagram are you? Go take this and tell me what you are. And then you go read all this stuff about it. And it isn't that this stuff arbitrarily is absolutely correct by any means. But but it gives you a really good starting place. And then you kind of, it also um, equips you with the nomenclature necessary to have an intelligent conversation about where the disconnect is. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, because yeah, because it's easy
2: to know a lot about yourself, but to to be able to convey it to another person, right? Or or to be able to um, uh, quickly read up on yeah. <laughs> on another mm-hmm. person, yes, and be like, this is where you're coming from. Do you think this actually expresses you? Let's talk about that. It's right. yeah, it's, it's it's really nice to.
0: So then do you view your music then as like an exploration of self and an exploration yeah. Yeah. of your vulnerabilities then? Yeah, I mean, the whole, that's
1: the whole thing. So I, I go by Bometheus, um, which is really just my nickname from childhood. I guess I was um, homeschooled. and uh,
0: <laughs> that, that was, Okay, okay, that was a loaded statement. Oh, uh, huge. Okay,
2: got some opinions about the homeschooling life, I see. Um, Were you homeschooled the entire time to college?
1: I was homeschooled to 15.
2: To 15. And then did you go public or did you go private? Or
1: I went to public school, but I already finished school, and then I went back uh, really because they had an orchestra, and I wanted to go to school for music, the more right. time you have, the better, but then they wouldn't accept any of my transcript and this whole dumb thing. Oh, jeez. It really pissed me off. But um, all that to say, Bometheus for me is a character, alias, et cetera, that represents what I call mannequin difference, mm-hmm. and so... For me, when you're listening specifically from the beginning of the discography onwards, you're listening to me, Jonathan Hodges, kind of do battle with Bometheus. And so yeah. Bometheus represents everything about myself that I want to outgrow and do better than. And uh, Jonathan Hodges is like, you know, trying to be a
2: healthy four, you know? <laughs> <laughs> a healthy four. Four-week right. And
0: you have it, like, on your website that you describe Bometheus as as opposed to, like, an artist name. It's more of, like, a project name.
1: Sure. right? Alias, et cetera, yeah. Yeah. yeah and true. so
0: do you think... I mean, and this is maybe four down the line, but do you think there will ever be a time where, like, maybe you outgrow the, the name so, Bometheus? Yeah, so this is funny. Um, because as I was working
1: on Seasons of Limbo, I was like, man, this is, like... This isn't caustically sardonic anymore. Like it's kind of, it's trying to be hopeful and nice. You know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, is this really a Bonafide's record anymore? <laughs> yeah. you know like, um, did I work through all my stuff. Where did my yeah. father don misty vibes go? Yeah, but then you get to track two on the record, and
2: and then we're we're right and, back. Oh, I know, still right. here. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, and actually, I had this conversation with somebody. Um, and he was like, no, dude, even if you get to the point where you feel like you've kind of grown
0: past that kind of stuff, that's your name. Like mm-hmm. Just like, be it, you know? And so maybe, like, a version of you 10 years down the line is also then just a different version of beliefs exactly. as well.
1: So maybe it's really, like, the the the... The progression of Jonathan Hodges taking ownership of Bometheus.
0: Who knows? That <laughs> would make a lot of sense. That that like running, sense, running
1: wild. I'm just trying to get a collar on him, you know, <laughs> <laughs> for the first three records. And then the next <laughs> and then finally <laughs> you, like, like, take it and put the skin on <laughs> yeah. and try and figure it out. So you this is Bometheus is I see. That makes
2: sense, that makes sense. Is, <laughs> is he
1: housebroken sense? yet, you know?
2: <laughs> <laughs> right, all Right. Yeah, okay, yeah, cool. And that actually makes a lot of sense, hearing that with the... Uh, with with the first album and the first album cover, that makes way to- makes way more sense. With like the, the, the tones of childhood and mm-hmm. um, and, uh, your interactions with that. Mm-hmm. that, that that makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm actually curious because, um, because of your uh, exper- e- not experiment experience in um, music, the the instruments that you specifically jive with. It produces a very interesting meld of genre. And so I'm actually curious, first of all, do you give a shit about genre? Is that something <laughs> you even think about? And also um, hats off to you for getting in like this kind of uh, recurring in Seasons of Limbo specifically, recurring like um, like southwestern like folky <laughs> violin. Never heard yes. an indie album Go with like a full And then
0: in All I'll Need is, there, there's just like a, is that a saxophone that just comes in? Because. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I just, love then, when a saxophone <laughs> comes in, it does it for me every time. But the thing that's crazy
2: to me is that it's not, uh, it's not jarring. It's not out of place for some reason. And I think it's because from the get go, you say fuck genre. Yeah. So I'm, so I'm curious and what like your you relationship with it. it is. You, you know what I mean? It, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not like, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. It's not an ignorance of; it's an awareness of, and a specific rejection of.
1: Right. So I'm curious what you're. So when it comes to like, whenever I'm working with PR firms or like writers, reach out to me, and they're always like, "Like, what do you call it?" And, know, Good question. You know? <laughs> you know, why I to, why I would I call something? It, yeah. uh, mischievous broke folk pop.
2: Oh. Huh. Um, Let me unpack that real quick in my head. Okay. It's genius, bro, quote, Bob. That makes sense. Okay. Very okay. good. Nice work. Yeah. I'm yeah. Sorry, I'm not tracking.
0: Way to do that for an audio medium. That was <laughs> incredibly <laughs> impressive on your part. Quick,
2: quick, quick, quick. The best version of an audio medium is one that you can visualize. <laughs> in your head, in your mind's eye. So
1: get started, everybody. <laughs> no, really. It's your list. fault if exactly. you don't like it. No, go ahead. Gaslighting isn't real. You made it up because you're fucking crazy. This is crazy. Damn! Um, no. Uh, there is a degree to which it. Uh, if I were to make an entire record where every song sounded like it was a genre, I would just be bored out of my, out of my mind. Mm-hmm. And at that point, if I'm bored, why would I do it? Um, so I think there's just that need to just not be bored. Someone recently um, described. He, he was like, why is it that you have so. I, he, this question had something to do with, um, it was specifically about All I'll Need, and it mm-hmm. was like, what's with the jazz vice, is what he called it. Because <laughs> 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 it's kind of there. Like, yeah, in every, oh, for sure. Yeah, like, yeah. It, kind of yeah, for, it like, really is. More complex harmony at simple songs. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. um, I think I just think it's exciting, and it's, mm-hmm. I think there's something cool about the experiment of taking more complex harmony and trying to make it alluring or even, um, um, comfortable or, um, pleasant. Mm -hmm. Like there's so frequently you'll have someone come along and they'll throw more complex stuff at something, but then it's just draining and you're not really interested in it anymore. And so for me, very much, unfortunately, because of I think probably because I listened to too much Mozart growing up, um, I really do naturally want music to be pleasant, mm-hmm. and so there's that's that, so interesting. There's okay. that need to like, and like I get a lot of criticism about. Um, well, there's just not enough like you know upbeat numbers, you know, and that's true. There really isn't. Like, there's maybe one or two on the new record. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I, I that was going to be another question of mine. Is like. If
2: a radio station was come to you and be like, okay, what's the song that represents the album? What are we playing on the radio today? Exactly. What do you put on there? I don't know. I don't know either. <laughs> I was listening to it and I... Really? Like, there really isn't a song that I don't fuck with. But my very first thing is I'm like, oh, but like, what's the pop-up? You know what I mean? Like, what's the... What's the... Like... What's
1: the Bob? So, which one's the I mean, yeah, song of the summer? That's, that is what makes everything really, really hard. Yeah. Especially, because because I don't write singles, I write records. Right. Yeah. Right. I've that I've always sense. done that, and I've always been really specific that that is what I do. But then when it comes to like trying to show it to someone, you can't be like, here, listen to 40 minutes of this. You have to be like, <laughs> right. I want three minutes, I want to know if it's good, everybody says, you know. Right, right, right. right. And then... I don't know what the heck to give you because everything that makes it good to me is how contextually it's working with everything else. Yeah. And so if you take away all that context, then it isn't really good anymore. Mm. It's like, or so,
2: or at, at, at least it's not what it's meant
1: to be. Exactly. Right. Like it, it, you're, and so like for the four and me, like really wanting to be seen and understood and all of that, like the idea of having to like cut off a piece of this thing that I've made and be like. Here, this is what I made, I guess. Yeah. yeah.
2: And you're like, here's this, but it's not as special as I'd like it to be. Exactly. <laughs> right? Right, right. Exactly. That makes like, sure, sure, sure.
0: So, I, I want to I talk about, um, so then you growing up and then listening to Mozart. And also, correct me if I'm wrong, but you were learning how to play the violin when you were three? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I have to ask the question, how come? How did a violin reach your hands at three years old and then you were learning to play it as well? Um, brainwashing? Very good. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Is this also the same reason that you are collaborating with your Uncle Dave? Are you just from a very artistic family?
1: Um, no, not. I mean, sort of. That's kind of a complicated question oh, okay. that I've never gotten before. And I... I can't even imagine
2: Yeah, well done, you're ready Yes! There. Like yes. That was the goal. That was- Jesus, okay, stop, oh,
0: everybody stop. No, okay, everybody stop. Everybody stop. Because I just want to just briefly mention so you may have heard something like drop for a second and then you hear Max saying fuck because he can't like keep things to himself and he's about to hit the microphone as well. And then he drops I'm to, I'm his phone to. too. No. I am really amazed. By the level of incompetence. I can't just
2: get a win, Danny.
0: Not I had a that. win
2: and an immediate
0: loss. And then he's <laughs> clapping his hands the entire interview, too.
1: I'm not gonna. Yeah, okay. Yeah, this is the seven wing six. This is me trying. I. This is you excited huh? and then the incompetence.
0: It, and, and it shines six. through <laughs> like a light at the end of the God. tunnel. It's just, the it's there, it's there. The <laughs> you get excited and then immediately, damn it. Fuck me. <laughs> So how would you say, then, has <laughs> your family influenced your music, your love for music? Back on track.
2: Good job, Damien. And uh, like, yeah,
0: how, yeah. How, how was that experience growing up with them so that I, influenced I, your learning of it? I say brainwashing because uh, well, I didn't really
1: know it was brainwashing at the time. <laughs> you never knew. I just knew. Exactly. I, I just knew that I really apparently wanted to play the violin more than anything in the world. And I would start when I was three. And then when I started, I realized how much work it was gonna be, and or I, start, I slowly started to realize how much work it was gonna be, and then I started to wonder whose idea it really was. And then, I'm, the, I'm also the oldest of six kids, and so as the other kids came along, it was the same. They all started around three or four, and um, we all played different stringed instruments, and my mom would decide which string instrument we were gonna play based upon our personalities in utero, and so I was kind of arrogant, and I would put my heel in her rib cage, you know, in uh, her ribs. That uh, is fascinating. And so she was like Violet. And then my wow. sister Caroline was like super stormy. Like you could put um, like a remote control on mom's uh, stomach and play like discordant music, and she would kick the remote control off mom was like stormy cello <laughs> and I, and my brother charles was just a blockhead and so he played viola and um, so that was how it was all decided and one day i was you know five six seven i don't know and a mom came up to my mom and she was like how do you get your kids to play these instruments because i'm having such a hard time and mom was like oh it's just brainwashing and i like stopped and i looked up at mom and i was like a second <laughs> when you
0: were five years old yeah, I was like I knew this idea. wasn't my idea <laughs> I'm doing this all the time and I that think is. I like it but I don't so know so interesting so
2: so it's more like you genuinely don't remember a time in which you were not playing the violin
1: pretty much yeah damn no, I really don't that's, that's effective. effective well then I, but I also started school when I was two so I also don't really remember a time I wasn't in school except for when I graduated in 2019 and I right. wasn't in school like that's the wow. first time in memory that I wasn't in school.
2: <laughs> so was that a, like? Was that panicky? I was living was that... my best life. <laughs> oh, you were like, this is as good as you're like. Wait, I have found there's a, a freedom. I existence.
1: was.
2: Not... <laughs> that's good. You're like, I get to choose what I do on my time? Yeah. Yeah, and
1: I will never answer to anyone again. But <laughs> <laughs> then I got married, so I don't know how that's. <laughs> He's <was laughs> like,
0: and I made a structure. Yeah. Please. Oh,
1: that's good.
0: So now then what is your relationship with the violin and how do you view it then like when you play it, how do you view it within your music?
1: Yeah, so this is kind of the first record where I've really played violin on like a lot of the songs, like mm-hmm. throughout. On my first record, I played it on many, maybe one song on, and I don't think I touched it again until the last track on Inadequate, and then on this record, I mean, it's all throughout. Um, I think I wanted, I was very hesitant to use the violin at all. I think one, because I wanted to prove that I wasn't just a violinist trying to do something that I probably shouldn't be doing. <laughs> and I didn't want it to be evident from the beginning that I could definitely play the violin, but maybe I still need help with songwriting. Mm. You know, I wanted my stuff, if it was going to stand on its own two feet, to stand on its own two feet. And if it was going to fall, it was going to fall. But I didn't want whether or not I could play the violin to be a factor for anyone listening. Um, and I think that's just because... I had been forced to play violin until I was 18. And, I mean, I'd probably around before 18, I had decided it was what I wanted to do, I go to college for it and stuff like that. So eventually I kind of took it on and made it my own thing that I really wanted, that I thought I really wanted. Um, but From most of childhood, I really wanted to learn to play the guitar, and I really wanted to write my own things, and I really wanted to do this. And there wasn't a lot of support to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, it was mostly mm-hmm. like, we pay money so you can play violin, practice violin, do, you know, however, the yeah. way too much school and, you know, get it together. And um, so all this other stuff, all the other instruments I play and everything else that I do, I do in spite of, you know, <laughs> <Right. Okay. laughs> I'm told I'm not allowed to do it. Yeah. And right. So I want it to be good, I guess, because I want to prove that I really wanted to do it and yeah. should be doing it. Mm-hmm. Right. if it was bad, then they're right.
0: Right, <laughs> right, 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 So then... That I makes mean, sense. But was there ever a moment oh. then where you you thought maybe growing up, like, oh, maybe I don't want to be a musician, period. No. No. Nope. never happened. I mean, I... Uh,
1: okay. Yes. There was a point, like, as a kid, I'd probably say from the point of realizing it was all brainwashing to... I want to say... The first time I played in an orchestra, I was mm-hmm. kind of like, "This is stupid. This isn't. This is horrible. I hate this so much." And then I played in an orchestra. And I was like, "Okay, there's something here." And then that kind of just diminished over time. And I was like, "No, I'd really rather not live my life at the behest of some idiot armed with a baton. Like that's really <laughs> not how yeah. I want to live my life." Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, but music was really never. From that point on, I knew I wanted to do music. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then uh, we moved from, because I'm originally from Atlanta, Georgia. We moved to Austin about nine, ten years ago. And shortly after we moved, my dad got diagnosed with cancer. Um, and somewhere in that experience, like I started, I was practicing like seven, eight hours a day. Just because I needed to cope with something. And then I started teaching myself piano. And I started playing guitar all the time and writing string quartets like one a week and like (laughs) like, everything was music and then dad ended up recovering and i'd found what i wanted to do yeah and so um i was still pretty uncomfortable with the idea of writing lyrics like that i i think i was just uncomfortable in general with my writing Mm -hmm. um i just didn't think i could really do it yeah and um so i just wrote instrumental stuff
0: Forever. <laughs> okay. are, are there still seeds of that? Like the the, un, the discomfort, excuse me, of when you're writing lyrics, when you're writing like that specifically in like just not juxtaposing, but like uh, sort of in tandem with the music writing? Mm, like am I uncomfortable in both? Or specifically in the lyrics and when you're writing the lyrics to your uh, songs?
1: No. Mm -hmm. not
0: anymore when did you get over that hurdle
1: yeah so um there were bad and good things about going to government school uh the last two and a half years Mm -hmm. before college one of the really good things was i took um my senior year i took ap english or whatever it is um with you guys know calvin and Hobbes.
0: Yeah, yeah. Those so uh, Waters, Calvin and Hobbes. Yeah it's, yeah, it's a series of comics. Yeah, but right with little like boy Calvin and, and his tiger. There yeah, we go.
1: Yeah, his little brother taught my English class senior year. Really cool guy.
2: The the guy that made Calvin Hobbes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh my god.
1: Yeah, Thomas Watterson was his name. Um, he gave. I mean, he gave me so many great pieces of advice about writing. Um, but one of them was, don't ever waste time trying to think of an introduction or trying to, I don't know, impress or something like. Yeah. Just go. Yeah. Just do it. Don't ever waste time on a sentence that's just not necessary. Mm-hmm. Just say exactly what you want to say. And I think for me, growing up, I my like my family is very verbally focused. So if you, I mean, to the point, like we laugh all the time. I think it's really Mm -hmm. cope with our problems, but we really do. Oh God, that's relatable. We laugh all the time. Yep. But as kids, like really very small, if you managed to get control of the conversation and everyone was looking at you now and paying attention, no, you have to deliver.
2: Oh, I see. And if you
1: don't deliver, you risk, you know expulsion and derision oh. for the rest of time until you do deliver but now a pressure is really on and all of us had to kind of go through this right of way this horrible passage <laughs> but as a result almost all of us verbally are quite competent uh-huh. and we just know how to how to deliver deliver right and um, so for me there was always this huge disconnect between how immediately I could express exactly what I wanted to, just talking. But the moment I had a pen in my hand, I thought there were all these rules you had to follow where you couldn't just say what you wanted to say. That mm. was inappropriate. <laughs> yeah. Right, right, right. But this guy was like, just say what you want to say. And then I'd say it, and he'd be like, that was great, do it again. <laughs> <Yeah>. And so he <laughs> sure. was just kind of this, um uh, it was very empowering. Yeah. And from that, I, I a little after, um I think I was still in that class, actually, I started... Um, writing lyrics, uh, a friend of mine, uh, we wrote an entire EP the week before I went to college. <laughs> wow! wow. And so, like, I wrote the lyrics as we were recording, and we'd like record one song a night, and it was like this really silly, ridiculous thing. But it was like my first time doing. It, it was like, no, this is all you do is kind of write shitty poetry. But because you're singing it, it's allowed to be shitty. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I can get away with it. Oh, Brilliant. I so a <laughs> breakthrough. Yeah.
1: But that's the thing, because poetry is music in and of itself. Yeah. Really yeah. good poetry is making music. It doesn't yeah. need music. And lyrics are just poetry that weren't making music on their own. And mm-hmm. so they needed something to make it you all know, work together.
2: That makes a little sense. Yeah. Which is something
1: I really had to think about a lot when I worked with Dave because he wrote poems, not lyrics. And Mm -hmm. so he would send me poems and then I would convert them into lyrics. (laughs)
2: Right. Well, okay, so so it's interesting now hearing Your extensive education in music and, well, in in songwriting, Mm. um, from all these different angles, obviously, but uh, the fact that you've gotten where you are now is very obvious, looking over your life and looking over (laughs) your your, your, uh, education. Um, Now, I am curious, at this point in time, what percentage do you think of your songwriting is instinct and what of it is technique?
1: Oh, that's a pretty good question. Did do you uh, did you write these down, or did, are you just this is just um,
2: I'd say there time? was one that was that was uh, written down at the like near the beginning. But at at this point, I'm kind of because I have a similar pro- I have a similar thing that's going oh, through my okay. head. Because like whenever I write stuff, that's a huge thing. Is that because the only reason I really went to college is because I was I felt like I was lacking technique, mm. and so I went to get some. Right. And right. now that I'm out, I you can like have you plenty it? of it okay. Good. but i'm now struggling with i feel like i'm restrained by it in the same way that you were whenever you were oh, talking about awesome. poetry you know what that's i mean awesome. where you're like where you are starting to write stuff and you're like oh i feel like i have all these rules mm. and now i'm currently in the process of let's take that shit off yeah you know cuz yeah, i've true. i've been very directing and acting focused but now that i'm starting to try and write as much as i can it's it's right where you were it's like get rid, mm, of, it. Get rid of it yeah, yeah. Wow. like you've been given you've in a way, the technique has actually changed your instincts. So maybe you need to just let go and and let your like trust yourself.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, when it comes to technique, there are things in terms of like the voice leading and stuff like that. Because the thing about songwriting is that it isn't just write you know a couplet of verse and you know a nice chord. Project. You have to actually paint the text mm-hmm. that you've written for yourself, and so. I, I guess for me, even even the technique, because it's Prometheus, is always poking everyone in the ribs. If you really <laughs> take the time to look at yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when I sing like the saddest line possible, it's to the most happy or major Makes Ionian sense. sounding um, chord progression, mm. you know, and so I get lots of people are like, Why is it that everything's so sad but it sounds so happy? <laughs> but it's like, Come on, that's like, that's it to that, me, that's I mean, the, that, right? Right, that makes total sense. It's the only thing that isn't boring, <laughs> right, right, right? Right, right, It's the only way that I can feel yeah. like I'm being sincere, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, so I, I really don't know how to answer that question because I don't think it's something I can know uh-huh. because there's so much where. To me, technique becomes instinctual um, when you know it works. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you're taught technique that doesn't really work. Yeah. And so then. So you, you just. End and so you then it's. It. And, well, but then it's in. It's like fighting against your instincts, right? And so that feels horrible. <laughs> Which is one of <laughs> sure. the things that's sure. more, most infuriating about um, bureaucratic education. Yeah. Is that um, it doesn't care about your instincts. It tells you what the technique is, and that's all that there is. There is nothing else. And so every time it comes up against that, even if you're not wrong, you're not allowed to be right. Mm-hmm. You're not allowed to. That's and very so true. And so when I you know, and like, I started writing songs and putting out these records in 2017, I had just transferred. And I was super excited to be here because the school I was coming from was pretty terrible. And so I was going to triple major. I was going to be a philosophy major. Violent performance, music education. And very quickly, over the course of that semester, I realized that basically at least two of those three were complete and utter nonsense. Like, just complete nonsense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, they, they <laughs> pissed me off. <laughs> like, very much. Really? Yeah. How did yeah. they piss you off? So, um, I was classically educated growing up. Um, and... Um, Well, for me, what it meant was we began every school day at 5 a.m., and we um, studied around 21-22 subjects a day and worked until 6 p.m., and we did not take summers off. I didn't know summer vacation existed until I was like 10. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. But of those subjects, uh, Greek, Latin, I I think for a few years we attempted to do Hebrew. But um, rhetoric, memorization, poetry, recitation, history, all these different things. That's all you're doing all the time. And then um, when we moved to Austin, we have a pretty extensive library um, that my grandfather collected over the course of his life. And in that collection, we have um, the uh, Encyclopedia Britannica um, Great Books, which is like 52 volumes of the entire Western omnibus, like the whole canon from Plato to Freud. And um, so I read that. Mm. Wow. So um, by the time I got to college... And I was taking, so I started in Seattle, and it was a Jesuit school, so they actually did have a very good philosophy program. Yeah. So I was part of the honors program there, um, which was just the humanities, uh, the three disciplines, uh, history, literature, and philosophy, and you moved through the Hegelian method, start with the ancients, and you move every quarter through um, with the three disciplines and three different um, discrete professors per discipline and all of your exams are oral at the end of every quarter and you are expected to synthesize all three courses at the same time so all three professors are in the room and your history professor can ask you a philosophy question and they can ask you whatever they want Mm -hmm. and that's the way it goes well because of my education how i grew up this was great. This yeah. is
0: all I wanted. <laughs> it sounds like a cakewalk. This too. is exactly yeah, right. what
1: I wanted to do. And it was so fun. And it was really great because I was able to revisit things mm-hmm. that I had kind of learned with someone who'd spent their entire academic career actually studying it right. in extreme detail. And yeah. like it was so cool and exciting. And these were my friends, these 50 to 70-year-old Nick. <laughs> right, and, right. Um, then I transferred to SMU because the music because I'm actually getting a degree in music. I kind of needed to be good. (laughs) Sure, sure. And so I transferred to SMU, and it took forever to finally get a meeting with the president or the chair of the philosophy department at SMU. And um, so I just became friends with the secretary, and I just go see her for no reason. I just pretended I was lost in the building one day, and she's this really nice Southern lady. She's like, come on, in, How are you doing? And I got to know about her grandkids, Billy and Ted, And we just would talk. And and they have excellent adventures?
2: They did. Bill and Ted's
1: excellent. (laughs) Thank (laughs) you for
0: explaining your joke, Max. I'm sure everybody got it. I'm trying. Oh my goodness. Like, it was a good joke. (laughs) Annie! I'm trying. Uh, (sighs) This relationship
1: is going to last pretty long. (laughs) And uh, so eventually I was like... We've been doing this for a year. It's okay. After we... After i kind of gotten to know her a few times and came into her office a few weeks in a row, I was like, you know, I've actually been trying to schedule a meeting with the chair. Do you know, is he in? She's like, he is in. Let me just go see. And she went, and she's like, come on back. And every day I had carried my little um, canvas bag that had everything I'd ever written for the um, program back there. So every quarter we had to write um, a research paper in each discipline that was about something that wasn't covered in the course and then everyone else in the um, cohort would read it and then that was supposed to add to the different things that we're learning about the time period and the thought and thinkers and whatever the heck. So I had tried to write as original of ideas as possible for these papers because I didn't want to waste my time, and so like for example, one of the papers I think was about how Locke, John Locke, mm. um, argues against um, innate ideas um, in his epistemology, but in his uh, second treatise concerning um, government, he argues without giving any explanation that he doesn't even argue, he just states that the um, state of um, the state of nature necessarily devolves into the state of war, and he doesn't really tell you why. And I argued that it's because there is an innate idea, and I call it personal propriety, which is the fact that you never have to teach a child to say that's not fair. <laughs> and so all of my papers were like this, and they were about all the various time periods, etc. That's interesting. Um, so I had them all, and I had all the... Um, uh, reviews and uh, grades and whatever from like professors and and so I had them with me and I got into the office and I was like, hi, I've been trying to email you. I really need to get credit for everything I've already done because I really like to get a philosophy major here. And he and was like, oh yes, well, well um, so what have you done? And so I pull everything out and put it on his desk and he's kind of and he like starts looking at it and he's kind of like a little standoffish and he's looking at this and like, so what did you argue here? And I like start telling him, and I was like, and then in this one, I argue this, and he's looking, and then he kind of puts it back on the desk, and he goes from being like this very haughty, I'm the chair at SMU, to kind of like this.
2: <laughs> yeah, like. Yeah.
1: Derelict, like, oh no, I actually don't know anything about the Western canon. <laughs> and I was like, so what do you think about this? You know, what's your opinion of this? And he was like, well, I, uh, well, I, I haven't really read uh, that. And I was like, you haven't? You haven't read philosophy, and there is silence. You're like, well, I think you'll find it's just kind of a we have a different uh, pro. It's more analytical philosophy. And I was like, so you Dude, guys, what are you analyzing? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if you haven't read it. Yeah, <laughs> you guys are doing like syllogisms, like how to read logical uh, symbols and like putting things that, like that didn't we do that in high school isn't that what high school is for and he was there's was silence he's like yeah so it's just you know, it's a different program anyway we'll give you credit for all our most advanced courses and just take a few courses and you'll be fine and i'm like okay and so i left totally disgusted already because i wanted to have a great time right and, like, yeah. this is what i'm really passionate about i love it and He knows nothing about it, and he's the chair of the department. (laughs)
0: Mm (laughs) What is going on?
1: (laughs) (laughs) What am I paying for? Who is paying for
2: this? Your anger, I love your manifestation of anger. It's so interesting. (laughs) So
0: everybody cannot see this, but what Jonathan does is that he laughs hysterically and smiles (laughs) to such an irrational degree, and the best part is that he looks at Mac, then back at me. Then back at Mac, (laughs) then back at me, and back and forth, and back and forth, and back and forth like he's from a cartoon. And he doesn't know how much to express it. It's like so good. I am in great pain and suffering, and nothing can solve this. He's like, "This is my hell." Um, well,
2: I, I'm curious. Were there any professors that you were able to find that that you felt like you could go to or that you could actually oh, use as mentor? So
1: yes, and this is why I started writing music. Uh, do you guys remember? Uh, I don't know if you would. Zachary Walmark. Can't say I have. I know the name, he but was, I've never met. He him. was in the musicology department. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I don't know if you guys would have really had to take that course. No. Um, really, really cool guy. Younger guy. And he taught a survey course. And I'd spot survey courses with all of my being. And it was Introduction to Music History. And I had to take it. Even though I had written a research paper for my literature class that basically dealt with uh, the Ars Antiquo and the Ars Noah and the things that happened in between. And I specifically dealt with Purcell's um opera Didas and Anita. uh what the heck did I just say? Dido and Aeneas. <laughs> Didas and Anita. There we go, nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> Dido and Aeneas, which is uh loosely based on the, the Aeneid, Virgil's Aeneid. Um and uh, but I had to take this dumb course, I didn't care. They're like, eh, too bad, you gotta take it. And it was at the end of the day, and because I was a transfer student, they wouldn't accept a lot of my credits, and so I had to take like 22 credits a semester to graduate on time, and it was very stressful, and I was exhausted because I was driving from Plano, so I had to get up at like 5 Mm a.m. in order to get there on time for an 8 a.m. class, and then I probably wouldn't get home until after 10, and then you do it all again, and then I also didn't have money for a food plan. So when we met in the food place, someone had swiped me in. Mm -hmm and so when people would see me I was probably starving and they'd be like oh, do you need food like yeah I haven't eaten in 12 hours and that was oh, my god. existence and so this class was at the end of the day on Tuesdays and Thursdays and I hated the class and I didn't want to be there so I'd just take a nap and so and I'd sit on the front row and take a nap and then at the end of the class I'd tell Zach everything he got wrong and leave <laughs> oh my god Jonathan because I was <laughs> pissed oh, off and if I'm going to have to be oh, here boy. you better get your shit right <laughs> I'm serious. And so one time he's i was like nodding off and he, he he projected onto the screen. He didn't just say it. He literally had taken the time to type it into his little his little PowerPoint that he wanted to show us and it said that Rome fell in four fifty-five AD and and, and and I was I, I looked at it, I looked at him. And, wrote down, and, that was, and he knew, he and, knew and that I, he was there, right? And I took a night nap, and, and at the end, I came up and I was like, just so you know, um, we can debate all you want whether or not Rome really fell or changed places, but it didn't fall in 455, it fell in 476. So if you're going to put a date in in your slides, maybe Wikipedia at first, just to make sure. And I tapped him on the back and I was like, all right, and I, and I left. And then I got an email from him a few days later. I was like, John, that I'd love to meet with you. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> 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 <The gig's up. laughs> and I picked the up. And I went to his office, and he was super excited to see me. And I was like, this is weird. And he was like, hey, come in, yeah. And uh, we sat down, and he was like, so how are things? And I was like, well, you know, they're fine. As, as fine as they can be, I guess. And he laughed, and he was like, so why are you here? And there was silence and, like, all of my being was just like, oh, wow, real question in a yeah. school. I didn't know they were allowed to do that. And then second of all, I have no idea. Because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I like, feel
2: like I'm supposed to. Yeah. And yeah.
1: I was silent. And I was like, well, uh, I think because my parents want me to be. And he was like, yeah, that's not a good answer. Yeah. So you need to probably figure out what you're doing here and do it. Because you don't actually need to be here. And it is expensive. And it is probably wasting your time. So you should probably use the time to do something. And I was like, wow. And he was like, all right. Thank you for your time. Goodbye. And he kicked me out of his office. And I was like, what am I going to do? And almost the next week I started writing talks. (laughs) (laughs) Because I was like, look, I went to academia and I like, tried to write things that I was passionate about and no one cared and no one took the time to really engage yeah. with it and then I transferred and it seemed like no one cared about what they did anyway and much less what I was doing. Yeah. So where's the one place where I can write what I think and people might listen to it? Songs. Just, yeah, just,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the, the public, just the world and hope that something yeah. sticks.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, it, it just happens to be true. You, you can't say whatever you want but yeah. you can sing it. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm endeavoring to prove that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> He's like, so that's why I'm going to say some crazy shit in the next album. Get ready for my conspiracy theories. No, 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 no. Man, okay. That is fucking fascinating. Out of
0: curiosity, though, do you um, have you been able to track maybe the influences from academia and from philosophy? Into your music and how you express yourself through your music? Uh,
1: yeah, so um, I, I kind of want my um, music, my, my catalog of work to be the musical equivalent to what Kierkegaard did.
0: Forgive my ignorance. Who was that?
1: Soren Kierkegaard, a uh, Danish philosopher from the 19th century lived um, in, in Copenhagen, and he... Um, he was a poet, he was a critic, he was a philosopher, he was a theologian. He did, it, he did everything, and he was always writing. And the majority of his work is written in pseudonyms, um, which was a common cultural practice in those days, because mm-hmm. he would write mm-hmm. in a pseudonym, and everyone kind of knew who the pseudonyms were, but it was kind of a common courtesy that you wouldn't say it out loud, that you knew. And this way, you could kind of make an argument for something that didn't necessarily have to follow you. Yeah and everyone would kind you could of place it you and then back and away and idea. Well Soren was writing so much stuff and so much provocative stuff especially just in terms of how he was poking at the church and and the way that the state functioned in general um, that he had multiple uh, pseudonyms and they were constantly bickering with one another and it was hilarious and um so I just find I I just stuff is just so imaginative and hilarious. Yeah. And, um, it really. The first time I read Kierkegaard, it was honestly like I was reading someone who understood everything about me. Like mm-hmm. it was the most incredible, visceral experience I've ever had. How so? Um, I mean, it's kind of hard to describe without going into a lot of detail, but I, he had written. Um, So there's a work called The Sickness Unto Death, and um, in it, at some point, he starts talking about this character, the poet, and he talks about, um, he's trying to define what sin is and what sin isn't, and um, he happens upon this definition of sin as despair, while still fully well being, um, if not aware, at least indifferently, predisposed to believe that God exists, and yet you're still choosing to despair in general. Um, And uh, he he wrote something like, The poet despairs not because he doesn't think God exists, but because he wonders whether or not God will allow the poet to use his gifts. And where I was at the time, that was exactly me. I mean, it was just... How it was because I was at the school where the music program was horrible, mm-hmm. and I'd been raised with all this really um, very traumatizing and destructive theology as a kid, mm-hmm. and um, so all of it was kind of collapsing in on itself, and on itself, and by itself, I mean me. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so Kierkegaard had just like described exactly where I was and why I was there. And then, over the course of the next few pages, he was like, "Yeah, it's pretty bad." And then he was like, "But it's also you're gonna be fine." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he made really compelling arguments for why. And um, a lot of philosophy tends to be, tends to be monomaniacally consumed with showing you just how bad it is to live. Mm. And at times it seems to revel in the idea that it might even be able to show you it's worse than you thought before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it very rarely spends any time or effort at all in trying to give you a, even the slightest glimpse of consolation. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like it just doesn't care. So not only does it make things worse for you as you read it, it does nothing for you afterwards yeah. like, yeah, pretty bad, right? All right. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and, but Kierkegaard didn't do that. And I was like, this is completely different. And so it wasn't that he wasn't also working through his demons and making arguments for things he totally disagreed with. Um, but there was also, he was trying to do better. Um, and so he'd have characters. And then at the end of his life, he actually started writing with his real name and saying what he actually believed. And so for me, Bomethius is very much a Kierkegaardian pseudonym. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you're kind of seeing glimpses of the different arguments and ideas of what life is, and then also what I really believe sometimes happens mm-hmm. to me. That's
2: so interesting. There's there's an equivalent of Kierkegaard in in theater. It's um. Uh, uh, Robin Williams, <laughs> <laughs> the great Eddie Murphy. No, um, no, it's
0: uh, uh <laughs> Jonathan was this close to doing a spit take this close. We would have had
2: to cut because the mic would have been covered in water. Um, the uh, no, no. Uh, her name is Rutsvitha, and she's oh. the very first female playwright that we know of in history. Wow. Um, and she, I mean, again, a, a pseudonym. We have no idea what her actual name was. Um, Shakespeare. But, <laughs> yeah, it was actually yeah, Sir Francis Bacon. Yeah, um, no, she uh, she though was a secular canoness in Germany in the tenth okay. uh, century, cool. and so, yeah, and she made all of her stuff was about religion, and all of it was. Um, like meant to uh, teach people about like what the church was actually about <laughs> in a very dark time in yeah, the church yeah, yeah, yeah. when no one was like actively excited to go to church um, and she was really like that that was all she made her stories about. but um the thing that she would always really center her stories around was a uh, she would always include a woman in the story somewhere. And she would always have her profusely apologizing to God. The entire play was just her just apologizing to God endlessly. Wow. Just just for speaking. Wow. <laughs> um, because she was not allowed. She was writing in secret. I know. Exactly. And she was writing in secret her entire life. And... and uh, And so... And you see, like, Bonnie? Oh, God, we're also so very
1: sorry for speaking.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It does look like a Monty Python sketch, doesn't it? it? (laughs) Yeah, and so... um, So she just apologizes and apologizes, and then, uh... Just like you said, like, at the the very end, the, the consolation, the hope is that, um... God comes down and saves her and and takes her up to heaven. Uh, which, and she's just like constantly terrified of hell the entire time. And But the funny thing is that she's only scared of going to hell because she's speaking. And the playwright herself is clearly terrified of going to hell because she's speaking. Right, right, right. Because she's writing. And you're reading it and you're just this like, so God damn, nasty. this is sad. Wow. And yeah, it, but, but, there, but there is something about it that it's so admirable because... You're like Jesus Christ. You are—I mean, literally—you're—you are really risking your entire life to do this, right? Um, as well as the uh, the the. Depressing, like meta nature of it, and and yeah, yeah. I in, in the same way that you draw inspiration from Kierkegaard, I, I, I draw I draw a very similar inspiration from Ouspensky. Wow. Yeah.
0: You teased it a little bit, but we actually never got the story. We know now why you use Prometheus, but where did the name Prometheus yeah. come from?
1: Okay, uh, we we're reading uh, Greek mythology. Um, How old were you? I want to say my parents gave it to me when I was five or six. And <laughs> I think that's when I started being called Prometheus. Oh, good. But I don't
2: really remember. No one it. at the um, age of five or six is yeah. good in Greek mythology.
1: It's dumb. There's no reason to be doing that. <laughs>
2: well, I mean, clearly the reason is that well, you're able to I'll then think, h- so, hit Playwin Freud by the sh- age of uh, early teens.
1: Yes, that is true to some degree, but it's kind of like. Um, having your kid read the old testament like they have no sense of context they've they haven't lived they haven't They've done nothing,
0: and so the most they can right. do is just be horrified. Yeah, <laughs> right. they can't apply it. They can't apply it to anything.
1: Abraham no was
0: about to kill his own son. My like exactly. oh, God, why? Oh,
1: God told him to do
2: that.
0: Well, actually, contextually, so, so
2: snakes don't... can talk
0: to us. That uh, Right. I could be eaten by a <laughs> whale, live, and then get spit out. Right, right.
1: Right.
0: Exactly. So you yeah.
1: end up with like this fundamentalist, literalist right. interpretation that no okay. one is actually meant to have when you read a text and you're intelligent, you know anything. Yeah. But the unfortunate thing is that that's how it goes. Mm. And so what ends up happening is that your your intellect starts to do this and your emotional maturity, if it isn't like actively depreciating, it's just not going anywhere. It's completely stagnant. (laughs) And so for me, it was this all the time where like I knew a lot of things and I also was not able to, like, be a person. (laughs) And I could not relate to anyone my age at all, ever. So all of my friends have always, like, been Mm. 30 years older than me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and and like
2: you said, it was partially brainwashing. Like, it wasn't just that you were getting all of this knowledge. It was that in the back of your head, you really believed the only things you were interested in
1: were things 10 years above. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, to some degree, I am only interested in the real thing. That is Mm -hmm. all I really want. Um, but I think that there's probably a healthier way to do it. <laughs> sure. Sure. And you know, yeah. my parents were really young when they had me and they didn't know what they were doing. So I, I don't exactly hold it against them. Um, I don't hold it against them, but I certainly do not intend to do this to anyone else, mm-hmm. <laughs> specifically my kid, if I ever, if I ever have any. <laughs> so, right. um, yeah, it's, so that's, it, it's a, um, what is the word for when you stick two words together? Anyway, it's Prometheus who stole fire from the gods and Boethius who wrote... Um, he actually is not a character in Greek mythology. He's a Middle Ages philosopher who wrote the Constellation of Philosophy. Um,
0: so you put them together and you get... Bo-Methius. Prometheus. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. okay. And, and you were I mean. given this nickname? Yeah. By your, by your parents? Uh-huh. Interesting. Right. Mm-hmm. How... And then how frustrating was it also when you were growing up that... You meet kids your age, and you're like, I can't connect with you. How underwhelming. <laughs> so, so this is the other un- specifically unhealthy
1: thing that it does, um, is it gives you um, a, an exceptionally unnecessary superiority complex immediately, mm-hmm. which is crippling, and you don't even really know it because you just think you're better than kids mm-hmm. your age, when in reality they just... They're kids. You it's know? Resources. Yeah. Just, yeah. Uh, what difference does it make? Right. Like we're just sure. kids, you know. Right. So then there's that, and then um, whenever I was, so I started going to something called the classical school mm-hmm. when we were still in Georgia. Um, I think I started when I was ten, and that met one day a week, and it was essentially all the same things that we had been doing, but it was a roundtable discussion, so everything was Socratic and. It was it was really fun and very cool. And actually, the headmaster of that school is one of my best friends still to this day, mm-hmm. And like one of the people I'm I'm probably closest to besides you know my wife or something. Like wow, it's, it's a pretty cool thing. That, well, yeah. But he also happens to be like you know 30 years older. Than me. <laughs> right. Classic. But the what made it hard was I was in you know a class, but I was three or four years younger than everyone there. Mm-hmm. So then not only. To kids your age do you have a superiority complex then when you're actually in the class that you're in you're the three or four year younger kid and yeah. nobody likes that kid <laughs> yeah. nobody likes that kid
2: because they're there for a reason and then they're always the one raising their hands exactly.
1: you're just like that kid like, right, right. yeah and i totally was that kid you know because mm-hmm. i was really
0: excited to be yeah. there and talk yeah. about it and do it
1: it's very sincere i think yeah but then there also was that... Super- so it was just an unhealthy thing to do to someone.
0: Was it a humbling experience when you were in that Socratic class? And then uh, you're shaking your no, head no, that it was, it was not, not a humbling experience. I at that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I had found home
1: and I was really excited to be there.
2: You're like, this is it. This is yeah. the life. I
1: mean, that's why like, when I went to college and like the, the classes in that program were Socratic and like that, I was like, yeah! So sure. everyone else was like, I've, I've never done that. You know, and it, right. is, it isn't... I, I don't want to communicate that I have superiority necessarily and that's like... It's a different experience. Yeah and so for me that is actually what I want. Yeah. To, right. And you just and you're just comfortable in that environment. I'm just comfortable there. In the yeah. other environment where they would have been comfortable, I would have been very uncomfortable I probably would have done badly. I like because mm-hmm. I just don't want to be there. Mm-hmm. And I'm not gonna pay attention. Well, well
2: yeah, and, and something that's that I think comes along with your life experience is that uh, you do have to and I'm just assuming this if I'm yeah, yeah, wrong. Yeah. Um, you do have to find a way to self-motivate. And because you are so excellent at self-motivating, that's what gets you from 5 a.m. to 6 p.m. when you're five years old. That's what gets you to... You know what I mean? That's what gets you to eight hours of violin practice. But then that also gets you to... Getting to college and getting to those uh, types of classes where you actually have to be the one to reach out and grab it. Yeah. And it feels like you're the only one truly reaching out and grabbing it. Yeah. I, I think that you're talking to people that didn't have necessarily the same experience, but were always, like, freaking excited to learn. Yeah. In a room of people that weren't... that were excited but found motivation in a different way. But
0: it was it was necessarily particularly when there would be like a couple of people in the room that weren't as interested and so when and then they you would infect everyone. Right. Yes, <laughs> it was it was like just poison you know entering a well yeah, just, and then the entire viral. village what? is yeah. sick to their stomach. <laughs> yeah.
2: Where like someone says that's not cool and everyone else is like, oh is that yeah, that's not cool. Yeah. <laughs> and then ever, and then we have to be like, no, it is cool, guys. Let's learn today. Yeah. Oh yeah. Man. We
0: are happy to be here. Don't forget it. <laughs> happy to
2: be. It's here. true. God, it's true. I'm so fucking happy.